Him. Amen. Enemy. How does the dictionary define it? A person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone. A person who feels hatred or engages in antagonistic activities against another. A person who hates or opposes another person. One Sunday morning, a minister was standing in my shoes. He was preaching on Jesus' words, love your enemies. So he said to the congregation, okay, folks, now don't do this because I know you'll hate it. But he said to his congregation, okay, folks, I want you to put your hands up this morning if you have a lot of enemies. And a lot of people put their hands up. And then he says to them, okay, that's great. A lot of you have enemies. Now, put your hands up if you just have a handful of enemies. And a handful of people put their hands up. And he looked around and, well, it looked like a lot of people had their hands up. Just a few people didn't. And so he said to them, okay, hands up if you have one or two enemies. And one or two people put their hands up. And, the, you know, everyone had their hands up. And he said, look, he said, look around this morning. We all have enemies. I don't. I've always croaked from the back. Sorry, what? I don't. It was a very old man sitting at the back. I have no enemies, the man said. The minister was amazed by this. And he brought the old man up to the front. And he said, how old are you, sir? He says, I'm 98 and I do not have an enemy in the world. The minister was amazed. He said, what a brilliant example of a Christian this man is. He has no enemies. Tell us, sir, how is it you've got no enemies? I'm pleased to say they're all dead. (laughs) We all have enemies, don't we? We all have enemies. There are people in our lives who hate us. There are people who oppose us. There are people who do not like us. All of us have got enemies. Sometimes we've got enemies because we've offended someone at some stage. And even though we've apologized and even though we've begged for their forgiveness, they've refused to give it and they've decided to hold a grudge against us. Some of us have enemies because people are jealous of us. Maybe they're jealous of of what we do or maybe they're jealous of how we are. They They're just jealous and and they they put themselves against us and they don't like us and they hate us and they oppose us. Some people are enemies of ours and you know what? If we were to ply the reasons for it, there's no reason at all. They just don't like us. They hate us for no reason. As we walk through life, the reality is that on the journey, we pick up many, many enemies. Many people who don't like us or oppose us or antagonistic against us. Now, I know we don't like to admit this, but whenever someone makes you an enemy of theirs, how do you respond to them? I tell you how I want to respond to them. I want to respond to them how they respond to me. They treat me as their enemy. Do you know what I want to do? I want to treat them as my enemy. Whatever they do to me, I want to do it to them. That's how we're all wired, isn't it? That's how the world we live in is wired. You make an enemy of me, you will be my enemy. Do your enemies slander you? Do you not want to slander them? 
Do people exclude you? Do you not want to exclude them? Do they turn others against you? Do you not want to do the same to them? Do they ignore you whenever they see you walking into Starbucks? Do you not want to ignore them when you see them? Whenever we have enemies, whenever people make us their enemy, the most natural thing in the world is to treat them as our enemies. So let's say I'm sitting in Starbucks and I'm working on my sermon. You know, I'm doing a bit of writing or I'm doing a bit of reading and I'm, I'm just working away there. And someone walks in the door who I know doesn't like me. In fact, I know they've said awful things about me behind my back. And they walk in. What do I do? Well, the first thing is I don't look at them. I ignore them. I blank them. And I hear them go up to the till and they're pretty close to me and they order their grande caramel macchiato with whipped cream on top. And they come and they sit down in my eye line. And do you know what I do? I do not even look at them. And oh dear, they've spilt their grande caramel macchiato with whipped cream. And it's gone all over the place, including their trousers. What do I do? I smile. And I think, oh, wonderful. And as I'm doing sermon preparation, I pray a little prayer. Oh, Lord, help them spill their next one too. When we have enemies, the most natural thing in the world to do is to treat them as our enemies, to do what they do to us. Now, you see, if you were a religious person living at the time of Jesus, the really good news is that you'd be perfectly justifiable in doing this. If you lived at the time of Jesus and you had an enemy and you wanted to treat them like an enemy, that was not a problem at all. Because you see the religious teachers in Jesus' day, when they were standing at the front of the synagogues, do you know what they taught? They taught, love your neighbors. Love those who are neighborly to you. Love your Jewish brothers and sisters, but your enemies. Hate them. Those who hate you, you're perfectly okay to hate them. And we see Jesus summing up their teaching in verse 43. Have a look at there. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said. So you've heard this when you've gone to the synagogue. You've heard this preached. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So there's two parts of the story they're teaching. The religious leaders are saying, love your neighbors. They're they're looking at Leviticus 19. That's where God says to love your neighbors. And they're saying to the people, you must love your neighbors. Love those who treat you well. Love those who live next door. Love those who are part of this community. But your enemies, hate them. They do evil to you, do evil back. They slander you, slander them back. They lie to you, lie to them back. They cheat you, cheat them back. We had it last week, didn't we? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What they do to you, you do to them. Now here's a question, how on earth was this being taught? Where did they get this from? They didn't get it from the Old Testament. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where God commands his people to hate their enemies. So how did they come up with this? Well, Don Carson, who was over teaching here in Northern Ireland this weekend, who's an excellent Bible scholar, says this. He says, we can't be 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 sure how exactly, but he says this. Some Jews took the word neighbor to be exclusive meaning we're only to love our neighbors, they thought, and therefore we're to hate everyone else. It's a bit like this morning, if I was to open up the Bible and it said, do you love your dog? 
little Sophia loved her dog, didn't she? It was great. But this morning, if there was a part of the Bible, and I said to you, love your dog, and I was preaching that, what I would go on to say is, okay, folks, we're commanded to love our dog, so what does that mean? It means you need to walk it, and, and, and feed it, and care for it. You need to love your dog, and, and you need to love all the other dogs. But you see, cats, not them, uh-uh. They are the enemies of the dogs. You can hate the cats. You can hate the fish. You can hate the mice. You can hate the snakes. Any other pet, hate them. You're to love your dogs, but hate all the other animals. And that's what was happening. That's what we think was happening. They were taking this to be an exclusive command. God was saying, only love your neighbor. Everyone else, especially your enemies, you can hate. And we see an example of this. There was a rabbi, and we have some of his writings in, in, a, in a book, and, and, and here's what he said. He said, if a Jew sees a Gentile has fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. Of course it is written, do not rise up against your neighbor's life, but this man is not your neighbor. See a Gentile and he's drowning. You don't need to go in after him. He's not your neighbor. You just have to love your neighbor's. So your enemy, your friend in Starbucks who spills their drink everywhere. If you lived at the time of Jesus, you could very justifiably smile and pray that he spills his next one. But Jesus, oh Jesus, (laughs) he always says things which challenge us. And Jesus here in this part of the Bible challenges his first followers and challenges us to do something that was totally and utterly countercultural then and countercultural today. Have you ever been in that awkward position? It's a really, you'll know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been in that awkward position and you're talking to somebody and they say something that you think is a joke and you burst out laughing and then you realize that they were being serious? You ever had that really awkward moment? They say something, you think it's a joke, and then they're being deadly, deadly serious. It's a little bit like this with Jesus, isn't it? It's a little bit like this here. Love your enemies. (laughs) You've got to be kidding, Jesus. Jesus, I struggle to love my family. Jesus, I struggle to love my friends. I struggle to love the people who love me. How on earth, Jesus, Do you expect me to love my enemies? You've got to be kidding, Jesus. But he wasn't. He wasn't kidding. He wasn't joking. He was being serious. Jesus called his first followers, and he calls us today to love our enemies and to pray for them. Have a look at verse 44. Having summarized what was being taught, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look at verse 44. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, Jesus says. In your normal, everyday humdrum life, as you go about your business and work, as you go about your business, walking the streets, as you go about your everyday humdrum life, Jesus calls you and me and his followers to love their enemies, to love people who oppose them, to love people who are antagonistic against them, to love people who do not love them. This morning, we are called 
to love our enemies. Now, what does that mean? That word love is a funny word, isn't it? Love is a strange, strange word. And sometimes, especially whenever we look at the, the Bible word love, we, we, we sometimes get the wrong idea of what love is. So let me first of all tell you what Jesus is not saying before we get to what he is saying. What Jesus is saying, what he's not saying here, is that you have to feel some sort of love for your enemies. That word love has been hijacked by Valentine's Day. And the word love today conjures us this sort of fuzzy feeling you need to, to feel some sort of love towards, you know, someone. So you can be in love and out of love. You can fall in love and fall out of love because love is all about a feeling. But Jesus here, he's not saying you must feel love for your enemies. And that's good because let's face it, if it was about feeling love for enemies, it would be very difficult. Very difficult to feel love for the person who's lying about you. Very difficult to feel love for the person who is opposing every idea you're bringing up in work just because they don't like you. Jesus is not saying that we have to feel love towards someone. No, what Jesus is saying is that we must act in love towards someone. You see, in the Bible, love is not a feeling Love is an act of the will. Love is a choice that someone makes. Love is doing something because you're choosing to love somebody even though they may be unlovely. Love is a choice. It's, a, it's an act of the will. It's a decision that is made by someone to act in love towards someone. And we see this with God, don't we? God doesn't say, I felt love for you, and so I sent Jesus for you. He doesn't say anything about his feelings. No, he says he demonstrated his love. God demonstrated his love. He showed his love. He acted in love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. God did not like our sin. Whenever we were in rebellion against him, living our way, not his, resisting him, he wasn't looking down and going, oh, you know, I just love how they're living. I just, I just like them so much. He loved us, but it wasn't this fuzzy feeling. It was, it was a love that was demonstrated with action. It was an act of the will to love us in spite of the fact we were rebelling against him. And this is closer to what Jesus is calling us to do. Not to feel love for enemies, but as an act of the will to act out in love towards them. So we don't have to feel like we like our enemies before we love them. But we have to act in love towards them, even if we feel dislike towards them. There's a really helpful passage that helps us see this bit clearer. And it's in Luke chapter 6. You don't need to turn there because it's just one verse. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is preaching another sermon and he's got the same group of people in front of him. He's got followers in front of him. It's a different sermon from this one because this sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. And we're told in Luke's gospel that he's preaching a sermon in a flat place. But a lot of the same topics keep coming up. And this topic about loving the enemies, Jesus brings up again. But what Jesus does this time is he says, love your enemies, and then he gives three examples of what it will look like to do that. So look at what he says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. There's the command. And now here's the application. Here's what this looks like. Do good to those who hate you. 
do good to them. It's an act of the will. Do good to them. Bless those who curse you. Bless them. That's an act of the mouth. And pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for them. Jesus says to love your enemies. It's not about a fuzzy feeling. It's about acting in love. Doing good to them. Blessing them. Praying for them. Folks, we're to do good to our enemies if we have an opportunity to do so. How do you feel about that? You don't really want to, do you? Neither do I. But yet this is the command of Jesus. Whenever an enemy of ours comes into our lives, whenever we're living out our lives in work or or at home or wherever we are and, and there's an enemy there, someone who opposes us or hates us and we have an opportunity to do good to them, Jesus says we're to do that. So back to Starbucks. I've blanked him as he came in the door. I've resisted eye contact with him when he sat opposite me. He spilled his grande caramel macchiato with whipped cream all over himself and all over the floor. And what do I want to do? I want to smile and I want to gloat and I want to just delight in his embarrassment. I want to pray that he spills the next one. Uh, but then those challenging words of Jesus come. Do good to those who oppose you. And so what do I do? I go over and I get some napkins and I help him clean it up. And as he goes to the toilet and I smile thinking about him drying his trousers on the hand blower, um, <laughs> as he does that, do you know what I do? I go and I buy him another grande caramel macchiato with a whipped cream. And I set it down where he was sitting. I do good to him. Does it cost me? Yeah. Do I want to? No. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it what a follower of Christ is meant to do? Probably. We're to do good to those who oppose us. We're to do good to those who oppose us. Let me just say here, though, that sometimes doing good to your enemy will simply be refusing to take vengeance on them. Let me say that carefully. Sometimes doing good to an enemy will simply be making a decision not to take vengeance on them. I'm not foolish enough to think that there are some of you here this morning who haven't had horrific things done to you by people. I'm not foolish enough to stand here this morning and think that there are not those of you here who have not been been badly damaged by people. And what Jesus is not calling you to do is to go to those people who've abused you or who've who've damaged you and start to try to to do good. And he's not calling you to do that. Okay, he's not calling you to do that. But the good he's calling you to do in those extreme circumstances, those those circumstances, those with those people who have really, really, really hurt you, the good he's calling you to do is not take vengeance. Not to go and attack them. Not to go and kill them. Not to go and do the things that you really would like to do to them. 
And let me just tell you again this morning, this is something else that's important. If someone has done something to you, if someone has abused you or, or, or hurt you deeply, especially if what they have done has been illegal, you must go to the police. Jesus is not calling you to refuse to ring the police or to refuse to go to the law. That is not doing good to them. God is a God who loves justice. The good that you're to do to those who have done the awful things to you, the good is simply not to retaliate, but let God judge them and let God have his vengeance. I just thought it was important to say that. That in our everyday lives, where we have our normal everyday enemies, then we're called to do good. What else are we called to do? Jesus says that we are to bless those who curse you. Blessing and cursing, these are both words. Uh, and, and, and they mean different things, but the Greek word bless, it's made up of two words. Bless means to speak well of or to speak well to. It's the conjunction of two words. So it's to speak well of or to speak well to. And what does that mean? Well, it means if you're going to bless your enemies and not curse them, it means that whenever you see them walk into Starbucks, instead of whispering under your breath, oh, here's again, and curse them inside, it means you speak well to them. You say, hello. It means you just greet them. Maybe you get to the point where you might even be able to wish them well and say positive things about them to others. What else does it mean? It means we're not to lie about our enemies. We might have bad things to say, and they might be true things, and, and, and there's a place maybe for sharing those things. But we're not to lie about them. We're not to make stuff up. We're not to assassinate someone's character with mistruth. We're to bless our enemies, to speak well to them, and if possible, even speak well about them. Think of Peter Miller, that Baptist pastor who walked 70 miles to Pennsylvania He must have said the good things about his enemy. He must have said, yes, he's hurt me. Yes, he's awful. Yes, he's humiliated me. But you know what? He's a hard worker. And he's honest. And he helps in our community. And he does good things. I'm sure he didn't say, you know, I'm sure he didn't kind of make up that he was just an angel. But he didn't go in there and, and he lies and lies and lies upon the man's character. We're to bless those who curse us. And what is the last thing we're to do? We're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for them. What exactly are we to pray for our enemies? Jesus does not tell us. I cannot tell you exactly what you should be praying for your enemies. But I know for me, for my enemies, I'm praying like I modeled earlier on, that Lord's Prayer that they'd come under the rule of God, that they'd be changed by God, that they'd come into his kingdom, that they'd receive forgiveness and therefore be forgiving people and changed people. I think of nothing else, we're praying for their salvation. But let me tell you a true story. Sandra's co-worker had said words to her that had been unkind and untrue. How could Beth say such things, Sandra thought. Beth was a Christian, Beth should have known better. All day, Beth's words had simmered in Sandra's mind and in her soul. And each time Sandra thought of her, her eyes narrowed and her jaw tightened and she got angry. But that night, as Sandra lay in her bed, she thought about what she'd do when she saw Beth. 
what was she going to do the next day in work? Well, one option was to ignore her. Another option was to confront her. Another option was to pretend that nothing had happened. But at some point, as Sandra was thinking about what to do, the words of Jesus came to her mind. Pray for those who persecute you. Huh? Thought Sandra. She didn't want to. She didn't feel like it, but she did. She started to pray for her friend. Well, not her friend, her enemy, Breath. Lord, she said, please show me how to pray for Beth with a sincere heart. Next morning, she settled down to have her favorite devotions in her chair, and she's prayed again. Lord, I don't like Beth, she prayed. I don't like what she did to me. I find her difficult to get along with. I know she's spreading gossip about me. She laid out to God how she felt about Beth and exactly what Beth had done. God already knew, but she, she got it off her chest. Then what did she do? She confessed that she really didn't want to pray for her. Lord, I can't get over this. I'm too angry. I'm too hurt. I don't want to pray for Beth. But then she said, but I want to obey you, Lord Jesus. And so she prayed for Beth. And she prayed for Beth for a number of days. And every time she read something in her Bible, she'd pray that thing she read for Beth. And as she prayed for Beth, do you know what Sandra discovered? Her resentment for her decreased. It was like as she prayed for her, not that she started to love her, but she started to certainly not dislike her as much as she did. Then at work, when she passed Beth or saw her in a meeting, she was able to greet her and not just ignore her. Then she started to talk to her again, you know, just about normal things. How's your family? How's your kids? How's your husband? It was really awkward at first, but gradually they both relaxed. And several weeks went on. And one day Beth and Sandra were working in the copier room. And Beth seemed really agitated. So Sandra said, how's your day going? And at that, Beth broke down. Beth had loads and loads and loads of problems going on in her life. She'd never shared them with anybody in the office. She'd never shared them with anybody at all. But feeling so under the strain of it, she shared them with Sandra. Sandra realized that she might have misjudged Beth. Sandra realized why Beth might have said and done the things she did. And do you know what happened? The Holy Spirit nudged Sandra and said, Aren't you glad you were praying for her? Aren't you glad? They became friends and she was able to help Beth with the serious things going on in her life. Now that's a true story. Names are changed, but it's true. And we're called to pray for our enemies. And so maybe we'll grow to like them more, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll see them changed and maybe we won't. But we're to pray for them because this is what Christ commands. Why are we to love our enemies? We see Jesus calls us to do it, but why are we to do it? Very simply, because we're meant to stand out. In this dark world, we're meant to be light. In this world, we're meant to be different. We're meant to shine brightly for Jesus. We're meant to reflect the Father and the Son to the world around us. We're to do this 
because we as Christians are meant to stand out. That's what 46 to 47 are all about. If you love just those who love you, Jesus says, what makes you different? Absolutely nothing. The tax collectors love other tax collectors. The Gentiles love other Gentiles. People love other people who love them. But folks, my disciples, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to stand out and be different. Why? So that the Father will be seen. Children, whether we like it or not, reflect something of their parents. Their behavior, their words, their attitudes, their actions reflect something of their parents. Don't judge me on my son Joshua's actions, okay? And as Christians, that's the way it's meant to be. And Jesus says, think about it. Your heavenly Father sends sun on the good and the bad. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Yes, he loves you, his people, with a special love, but he loves all people with some love. And as we love our enemies, we show the world a God who loves them. Almost a year ago, just under a year ago, it was last March, I was in Lebanon. And Lebanon is bordered with Syria. And over the years, over the centuries, there have been so many conflicts between the two. Hatred between Lebanon and Syria is real, real hatred. They are real enemies. You think the troubles, there were enemies here, it's nothing compared to what's there. Lebanon, Syria, enemies. I went up to a border town in Lebanon that borders the Syrian border. And the people there have a particularly strong hate for the Syrians. Why? Because they're the towns that were bombed. They're the towns when they invaded, had their families killed. They're the towns that were on the front line when the Syrians came over and attacked. There is deep-seated hatred on the, Syria, on the Lebanese border for the Syrians. And what happened whenever ISIS hit Syria? The Syrians started coming into Lebanon in their millions. And you know what most Syrians did, they or most Lebanese did? They exploited them. They got them in and they treated them as slaves. They paid them next to nothing to do major work. They gave them a, a tent and a field, called it home and made them work for them. Here come the enemy into our country. We are going to treat them as our enemies. Do you know what the church of Jesus Christ did? They did what Jesus said. I went to visit a pastor who openly admitted his hatred for the Syrians. I hated them, he said. I hated them. What they did to me and my people and my family, I hated them. But he says, whenever they came into our time, Having heard the words of Jesus, I knew I had to love them. And so do you know what the churches are doing? The Lebanese hate them, but the churches, the, the Christians there are loving these people. They're going out to them and they're bringing them food and water and supplies. And they're saying to them, we're giving you these in the name of Jesus and we want nothing from you. We're loving you. We're giving you these because of Jesus. And do you know what's happening? The Syrians are saying, who is this Jesus? 
tell us about this Jesus. We don't know him and we want to. See these girls on the screen? They're Syrians. Syrian refugees. See the little books they're holding? That's Christianity Explored, the course we're doing here. They want to know Jesus. And they want to know him because they've seen his love in the face of these Christians. Maybe if we loved our enemies, some of them might come to love our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are challenged by the words of Jesus. We, we struggle to love those who love us, never mind our enemies. But Lord, may his words ring in our minds all week.